should probably wait to see if you want to do that afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a great joy to be back with you today, and I just want to thank the uh, worship team again for leading us in worship to God. That's a great blessing. I, th- this, this theme of uh, heaven is a wonderful theme. I buried a friend, officiated his service about a week ago, and um, you know, I was reminded again that uh, death may be the last enemy, but it doesn't have the final word, does it? And that's, that's the great hope that we have in the gospel. So we want to thank the team wherever you are for uh, leading us in, in worship today. It was a great blessing. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, but we'll focus mostly on verses 15 to 23. But we'll, we're going to get started in the chapter as a whole. Um, I don't know if you remember the story. I, I, I love uh, sports. And um, you can learn so many lessons from sports. And one, uh, one of the stories that always intrigues me is the 1929 Rose Bowl between uh, Georgia Tech and California. A fellow by the name of Roy Regals was playing defense, and he picked up the ball. It was fumbled. And he ran 95 yards in the wrong direction. Just in his excitement. You know, he, he meant well. And it was, his bro- it was his friend, Brian Lom, who actually tackled him on the five-yard line. Or something. I, did, I do that all the time. I shouldn't touch this. Okay. Uh, tackled him on the five-yard line before he actually scored. And they went, in, they went into the locker room, and he was just weeping like a baby because he felt he just kind of let down the team. Did you ever do that? I remember when I was in junior high, um, I was on the basketball team. I think the coach figured it was toward the end of the first half that it would be safe to put Fink Finer in. There was only 30 seconds left. Like, what damage could he do? Close game. Well, I got in there, and they gave, I got the ball. I was a guard. And I don't know. I looked down. I thought it said five seconds left. So I thought I'd be the hero. So I just turned away and threw that ball the whole direction. Well, there was 25 seconds left. They caught the ball, turned around, threw it back down the other way, put it in the layup, and went ahead like by two points. Oh, the coach was so mad at me. I never played the rest of that game, you know. <laughs> it meant well, but yeah, we've, we've all done those kinds of things. You get over them in sports, though, don't you? But in life, it's much more difficult. You ever let down a parent, a mate, child, friend? And, and even more than that, have you ever let down the Lord? Where you say to yourself, man, Lord, I promise you I will never do that again. And you do. Again and again. And and sometimes the shame can be overwhelming in our lives, can't it? Or, or Lord, I know I need to do that. I know I need to do that. I'm really going to do that. And you still haven't done it. And I won't ever say that again, Lord. And I do. And sometimes you want to just almost throw up your hands and say, I don't know. Like, is it even worth it? It's like, just keep failing him again and again. The one who has loved me, the one who has died for me, the one who has saved me and redeemed me. I mean, we sang about him. We sing these songs and doesn't something just swell up inside you? Like, oh yeah. And then you go out and one hour from now you'll do it again. It's like, what am I thinking John chapter 21, 
Maybe you have a sense of how Peter feels when we come to this text. Remember back, this takes place after the resurrection, prior to Christ's dying on the cross. Remember, he's eating with his men that final night. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You guys are all going to run from me. And Peter says, Lord, I don't know about all these other turkeys and all these other guys, but not me. I mean, I will stay true to you, John chapter 13. Lord, I will follow you. I'm willing even to die for you, right? And Jesus says, you know what, Peter? You're going to deny me three times. And I don't know what Peter was thinking at that point, but I wonder under his breath, he's probably thinking, no way. I mean, not me. Sure enough, John chapter 18, Peter, and, and you know, look, you can't be too hard on Peter because, you know, he was getting as close as Jesus as he could to Jesus in the trial, wasn't he? I mean, where were the other guys, in all fairness? But nonetheless, he was as close as he could get. John was nearby too, apparently. He was as close as he could be there. And, and, and guys say, hey, didn't I see you following him? Who are you talking to? You. I don't know what you're talking about. And, and then a slave girl comes up and says, I, you have the Galilean accent. You're one of his. No, no I'm not. No, 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 I'm not. And, and this goes on three times. And someone says, and, and the Bible says in one of the accounts that finally he cursed and said, I tell you, I don't know that man. And at that point, everybody figured, I guess he doesn't. And Luke's account tells us that at that point, after he said that, Jesus, he saw Jesus coming out, and Jesus' eyes caught Peter's eye. And it was just like disappointment, like you can't believe. And the Bible tells us in Luke's account that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. We've all had experiences, perhaps not as, perhaps not as deep as that one. But we've all done that, haven't we? So what does Jesus say to Peter in John 21? Loser! Is that what he says? Get another job! What a waste! Could he say all those things? I mean, he's Jesus. Does he need, does he need me? No, the kingdom of God will go on quite well without Doug Finkbeiner. God will do his work. So what does he say to us when we have done those kinds of things? In John chapter 21, According to John's account, Jesus has already met with the disciples. They've seen he's the resurrected Lord. That's quite clear. But apparently, he tells them to go to Galilee, and he's going to meet with them again there. Well, in John chapter 21, they're waiting for him, and he hasn't showed up yet. So what do you do if you're a fisherman? <laughs> you fish. Like, what else do you do? And so notice uh, in the first 14 verses here, Jesus is going to manifest himself again to his disciples. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. For just a second, go down if you would um, to verse 14, where the Bible says, This is now the third time that Jesus manifested himself to the disciples. So clearly in the first 14 verses, he's saying, You know what? You guys are waiting there for me. Let me show you something about me again that you need to remember. So while, that, while they're waiting for Jesus, notice the situation in verses 2 and 3. 
There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of the disciples, seven guys apparently. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And the folks, there was nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're waiting for Jesus. Like, what, what are you supposed to do while you wait for Jesus? Well, in this case, you, you, you fish. And they said, the other guys, we, we will also come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, one of the things that's always interesting to me when you read the Gospels, whenever you read disciples and boats, it may be an area where they think they've mastered things, but it's always an area where Jesus is going to teach them something, right? Exactly what goes on here. So they don't catch anything all night. It sounds reminiscent of Luke chapter 5. And when the day was now breaking, because you know often what these fishermen did in antiquity is they fished all night. I mean, that was, that was the time when you would catch these fish. So when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, children, do you not have any, uh, you do not have any fish, do you? <laughs> would that bug you a little bit? How's it gone? He's about 100 yards off. How's it going out there, guys, after fishing all night? Did you catch anything? No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. I don't know about you, but one of the great statements of faith is what comes next. They cast, therefore. Because I would have been like, who is this guy? Because they don't know who it is yet. Who is this guy? But perhaps in desperation, they thought maybe he can see a school of fish that we can't see from his distance. Who knows? Who knows? And for whatever reason, they said, just cast it in. At this point, desperation. They cast, therefore, and, and they, they were not able to haul, in, haul it in because of the great number of fish. And I love verse 7. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, John, guy who writes this book, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, we saw this one before. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, whatever. Maybe it was cloudy that morning, 100 yards out. They couldn't quite see who it was. But as soon as they did that deal and they caught the fish, they knew who this was. It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment um, because he had stripped himself from the work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now, I want you to think about this. You've got to love Peter. Is Peter impetuous? Oh, yeah. Does he, does he often um, act before he thinks? Absolutely. And what happens is, in that moment, they're in the boat, you know, and these boats... We, we actually, um, archaeologists have actually found a preserved boat in the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. You can actually see part of it. You can go online, you can see it too. So these boats were good size. And so here they are with these seven guys in this boat. And when, they've real, when Peter realizes it's Jesus. Now, look, what you have to do, Peter, is do what the other guys do. Pull the nets to land and see Jesus. But Peter loves Jesus. So, so he puts on that outer garment. Might have not been the easiest way to swim either. But nonetheless, he puts on that outer garment. He hops over the boat and he starts swimming. He just wants to get to him as quick as he can. Because he loves them. 
not necessarily thinking the whole thing through, but he loves them. And <laughs> leaves all his comrades to have to pull those nets. You know, they have these two boats and they're pulling these nets back with the fish, but nonetheless. So notice what happens now. So when they had gotten upon the land, they saw that a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. You know one of the things that's interesting? The last time in John's gospel that you read about a charcoal fire is when Peter was warming himself at the trial of Christ and would deny him. So here's another charcoal fire, but it's a charcoal fire that's really, really quite different. And, and, and so listen to what, else, what, it, what he goes on to say here. So um, ver, verse, uh, verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, scholars have often said, like, why 153? You know, 1 plus 5 plus 3 is 9. And you know why it says 153? Because somebody counted 153. That's it. That's it. Okay. Don't look for anything beyond is 153. What was Jesus teaching in all this? Think about it. The one thing that Peter knew was fishing. And when Jesus says no fish, they catch nothing. When Jesus says put it over here, they catch them. And when they catch them, they keep every last one all under the direction of God. And by the way, he's cooking some for you back on the land. And this miracle again reminds Peter and the disciples, it's all about me. You can do nothing without me. I provide, I give you opportunities. And by the way, when I provide, I can keep every last one of those fish as I so choose. It's the act of God, isn't it? So they sit and they have the meal. Jesus takes the bread in verse 13. He gave it to them and they, they ate the fish together. A wonderful time of fellowship. And now Jesus is ready to teach Peter the lesson. You see what he does? He starts way out here with the miracle. and focuses on. And what happens is um, when you begin reading verses 15 and following, you get this sense. It doesn't mean the other disciples aren't around. But the only ones you're really reading about now are Peter and Jesus. So what does Jesus tell Peter? I find it to be extremely important because what he tells Peter, he tells me. What does he tell a bunch of failures? Is anybody in here not a failure at times in their life? If you are, you can come on up here and I'll sit down. We all fail at times, don't we, folks? So what does Christ say to us? And it's not that we don't love him. I mean, like Peter, we jump off. We hear it's Jesus and we jump in the boat. We, we sing songs. We get an opportunity. We say, God, I love to do. So what does he say to us? Notice in the text, two things bubble up from this passage. First thing is this, and I, and I want to explain it because 15 to 17 is sometimes rather confusing. Here's what Jesus says to Peter, and this is what he says to us. I want to use you where you are. Just be honest. Notice what the text says. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? And, and you know what, what I want to do, and not to get Greeky on you here, but if you don't mind, I, there's two different words used for love in this passage. Okay, so, so when, I, when it's the one word for love, I'm going to kind of say it one way so you can understand it. So here, here's, here's how it reads. Simon, son of John, do you have a great love for me more than all of these other guys? Isn't that what Peter said? <clears throat> these other guys, man, they may leave you, Lord, but man, I'm going to die. I'm willing to die for you. Do, Peter, do you have this great love for me more than all these other guys? And he said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I have a basic love for you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you have a great love for me? He said to him, Yea, Lord, you know I have a basic love for you. And Jesus said, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you have a basic love for me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you have a basic love for me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I have a basic love for you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Do you see what Christ is doing in this passage? He's not rubbing it in. I mean, he's not going like, do you love me? Do you really love me? Just, just pray. He, he wants Peter to come to recognize, look, Peter, don't act like you're here in your relationship with me when you're here. So do you have this unbelievably overabounding love more than all these other guys? Well, Lord, I, I, I'm kind of like, no, I don't actually. But I, but I do have this. And he asked him the third time, Peter, do you have this? Lord, you know all things. You know I have this. And what does Jesus want to do with this guy when, he, when that's the case? When he comes to terms and he is open and honest about where he really is, Jesus says, I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to tend my lambs. What, what is the most precious thing in the world to Christ? It's a sheep. There's nothing more important than a sheep. But Jesus, if he's going to use us where we are, he can only use people who are honest about where they are. Like, I can't act like I'm way up here if I'm not. Jesus is saying, play it straight. Be what you are. Say who you really are. And if you're openly honest and say, Lord, here I am. I'm not much, but I do love you. I'm basically, I'm right here. You know what? I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you to do the most significant thing in the world, which is feed my sheep. Isn't that great? So, Doug, I've blown it. I guess God can never use me. Is that what Jesus says? Not in this passage. In this passage, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, if you are just honest. Peter had the problem. Number one, he thought too highly of himself. And he didn't recognize how much he needed Christ. And Christ is constantly reminding him of these two things. Peter, humbly, honestly, walk before me. Lord, I can fish. No, you really can't, Peter. I can get, no, you can't even, you can't even do the one thing in this world that you think you can do. You can't do anything without me. 
And Peter, when you get to the point in your life when you say, God, I need you for everything. God, I'm not much, but here I am. God says, that's great, I'll use you. But I'm not perfect. No, I'm not. And is anybody, none of us are, folks. Every one of us is in process, and that's not an excuse for sin, because sin has to be confessed and dealt with all the time. Of course, of course, it's not the point. But what it does mean is we're oriented in a different direction, and God is at work in our life, doing something in our life. We're not perfect. We, 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 we have all our foibles and problems, but God says, if you're honest and you're humble about where you are, I could use you. I can use you to do the most significant thing on this earth. Now, I find that to be a great promise. The second thing he says surfaces here in verses 18 to 23. Not only I can use you where you are, but secondly, I can make you what you should be. Notice what he goes on to say here in verse 18. Truly, 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 I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out with your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You know what he's saying? Go back for just a second, would you? I want you to notice this. Go back to John 13. John chapter 13. This is when, when, when he's going to make his statement to Jesus at the, at the Last Supper that he would stand while the other guys don't. But I want you to notice in verse 36 of John chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him this, look, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't, can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow till you deny me three times. In John 21, he says, truly, truly, again. But this time he says, you know what, Peter? One day you will die for me. See, when he talks about the fact someone else is going to have to gird you, etc., etc., it's talking about somebody who's on a cross. And so Peter, back in John chapter 13, who said, Lord, I'm willing to die for you now. He wasn't willing to die for Christ then, was he, folks? He wasn't. He wasn't at that point. But Jesus said, Peter, you're open, you're honest, I can use you where you are as a humble, honest man. And, and, if you follow me, one day I will make you what you should be. Isn't that great? One day, Peter, you will get, and both First Clement, who writes later, and later church father by the name of Tertullian, and tells us very clearly that Peter died. He was crucified. There's even a much later tradition that says Peter was actually crucified upside down. But it's so late, it may be embellished. I don't know about the upside down thing. People, they, did, they did sacrifice, I mean, they did crucify guys all different directions. I mean, they, we know from antiquity, sometimes up this way, sometimes it was sideways, sometimes it was upside down. So we do know that's the case. But, you know, some, the later tradition says, Peter said, I, I can't be crucified right side up because my Lord was, so do me upside down. I don't know if that's true. I like the story, but I can't prove it. 
Okay, no way of proving that. What I do know is this. He was crucified for his Lord. And, and, and the point of this passage is, Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I can use you where you are right now. If you come humbly, honestly before me again, after devastating, doing something you think is just awful, which was, I can use you where you are. And if you allow me to work in your life, one day I will make you what you should be. The only requirement is that you follow me. Notice how the text ends. Look at verse 19. He said, at the end of verse 19 there, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following them, the one who, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, um, Lord, who is the one who will betray you? Peter, therefore, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. <laughs> you have to love Peter. I mean, what, what, what image you get? You get this image of uh, Jesus is talking with Peter and Jesus is saying, look, Peter, I can use you where you are. I can make you what you should be. All you have to do is follow me. And one day you will be ready for that. Well, Peter's hearing this and he hears about a story that's going to take place three decades from now about his death. And he looks around, he sees John. I don't know how far John is away from them, but he looks and sees John. He says, what's going to happen to him? <laughs> you know, like, do I do this alone? Jesus says, Peter, will you stop comparing yourself with John? You just follow me. It doesn't matter how John dies. It doesn't matter about, it's about John and Jesus. It's about me and John. It's about me and you, Peter. But forget that, would you? But isn't that so much like us? My kids are very good at this. You know? Okay, um, children, I want you guys to, what about, what about him? Well, I mean, does he have to clean his room too? Yeah, I'll deal with that. But you know what? You deal with me and that's it. Okay? Yeah, but wait. No, no. Uh, do, you, do you find that with your kids or is it just my family? <laughs> what about? It's, it, it's, it's a kid thing. It, you know what? It's a human thing. And this text is saying, look, don't compare yourself. You know what happens if I compare myself to you? Or you compare yourself to me? I may find somebody here in the crowd that I say, you know, I'm, I'm better than that gal or guy. And I might find somebody else in the group that I say, man, I'm not near as good as them. And I get focusing on people rather than on our Savior. And you know what? If I look at you and I say, man, you're so much more spiritual than me. You do this so much better and all these kinds of things. Oh, woe is me. There's no hope in my life. Man, it's the wrong focus. I don't have to follow you and you don't have to follow me. We follow Christ. And if I find somebody in here who's, you know, not as mature as I am, or so I think, I can kind of sit in my laurels, can't I? Kind of do whatever I want. Take it easy. So it's never to be our focus. This text says, look, Jesus says, look, Peter, I can use you where you are. I can make you what you should be. What I want you to do is be open, humble, and honest. You know what? Just walk with me. And nobody walks, nobody runs with Jesus, do they? We don't leap with Jesus. We walk with him. Which means we take a couple steps forward. We often then take a step back. We sit down, we look around, we wonder. Sorry. 
We refocus. Sorry, sorry about that. I, you know, we go like this. We refocus, and we take that next step in our faith walk. I didn't ruin those or anything, did I? So, okay, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> but, but isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Where we keep getting reoriented, and we just take that next step in our faith walk with Christ. And you know what, folks? If you and I do that 15, 20 years down the road, we're way down here. Now, we've backpedaled some in the process. Fair enough. But we're way down here now. And there's a higher level of maturity, even though at this point we don't necessarily feel more spiritual because we see all our other problems. True, fair enough. That's the way it is. But we are. And Jesus looks at a man who has terribly disappointed him. He says, I want to use you right now to do the most significant thing in this world, which is touch people. Be honest. Be humble. And I want to make you one day everything that I want you to be. All you got to do is take your next step in your faith walk with me. That's all you got to do. And you know what, folks? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've allowed him to forgive your sins. You know, all a Christian is is a forgiven follower of Christ. That's what we are. We all got to the point in our life where we say, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of trying to do it my own way. I want to be forgiven. I want to come into a relationship with God. God, forgive me. And boom, just like that, he forgives me of all my sins, changes me and says, orients me to, to his son and says, now follow him. That's, and that's what it means. But as a Christian, I'm not perfect. I'm just reoriented. And through his spirit, he helps me to walk down that path. And that's Christianity, plain and simple. You know what I love? For just a second, I'd like you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. You know, when the Gospel of John was written, probably written in the 90s, first century, Peter was already dead. Peter had already been dead for a couple decades by this point. And so these, these people knew the story of Peter, and we, but we get a feel for Peter when you read 1 Peter because he wrote the book, so we can kind of find out something about him. But here's Peter writing toward the end of his life in 1 Peter chapter 5. Tell me if this man has changed. Look at what it says. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 verse 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that, it, that will be revealed. Look at what he says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. According to the will of God, and, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Has anything happened in Peter's life? Oh, man. Peter has walked with his Lord. He's not only shepherded the flock of God, he's now exhorting others to do the same. And Peter's been changed. I don't know your story, where you've been from, what you've done, but I do know what the rest of your story can be like. From this point on. And Christ would look at you. As you come before him with an open heart. That says. 
Here I am, take me. Christ will say, I'll use you. And I will change you. During the uh, halftime, as Roy Regals was crying like a baby, Coach Price came up to him said, Regals, you're going to start the second half. And the story goes, when Regals went out in the field, he played with all of his heart. Because God is the God of the second chance, folks. So wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come to him. Let him change you. Let him redirect your life and see how he changes your story. Father, thank you for your word.